No announcements this week other than giving, so we're going to jump into Psalm 126. And I'm actually going to start by reading it. This is our chapter, super familiar, but I'm going to talk about a portion of this that we haven't talked about, I don't think, in the past. If we have, it'll be deeper than we did. So Psalm 126, I'm going to read it in two translations, first in the NRSV and then second in the Passion Translation. So give you both both sides of the uh, translation spectrum. Here we go. Psalm 126, verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, or another translation is, when the Lord brought back those who returned to Zion, we were like those who dream. We were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses in the Negev. Now, remember that. Like the water courses in the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Sheaves. Um, Let me read this in the Passion Translation for you real quick. Here's what it says. It was like a dream come true when you freed us from our bondage and brought us back to Zion. We laughed and laughed and overflowed with gladness. We were left shouting for joy and singing your praise. All the nations saw it and joined in saying, the Lord has done great miracles for them. Yes, he did mighty miracles and we are overjoyed. Listen to this. Now, Lord, do it again. Restore us to our former glory. May streams of your refreshing flow over us until our dry hearts are drenched again. Those who sow their, uh, those who sow their tears as seeds will reap a harvest with joyful shouts of glee. They may weep as they go out carrying seed to sow, but they will return with joyful laughter and shouting with gladness as they bring back armloads of blessing and a harvest overflowing. Amen. Amen. Psalm 126 is written looking back on Israel's deliverance from Babylonian captivity to build a dreaming anticipation of a future uh, restoration. So if you notice in Psalm 126, the first three verses are past tense, and then the last three verses are future tense. These, this is uh, part of the Songs of Ascent, which most scholars agree probably as the Jews made their, or the Israelites, Jews, Israelites, same, same thing, um, depending on what time frame you're in. But as they would make the journey to the temple at certain points of the year, they would sing these songs of ascent on their way in. A lot of scholars also believe that they would, uh, depending on how they went into the temple, they would take a step up to the temple and then sing one of the songs, and then take another step, sing one of the songs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So Psalm 126 is a part of these songs of ascent. Um, It's written... Looking back at Israel's restoration from Babylonian captivity, and it's doing that to look ahead to a future restoration. So what this psalm is ultimately calling for us is to trust in the nature of God as so sure and so faithful that we plan on his coming through for us. Okay? In other words, it's saying, this is what God has done, therefore hope for what God will do. Okay, 
So verses, just to review, verses 1 through 3 look back on the seemingly impossible release from Babylonian captivity to restore the fortunes once lost in disobedience by another generation. It's like the writer is saying like this, uh, remember what God has done for us. Why? So that we will believe for what God will do for us. Some scholars believe that this psalm, and, and this is, I almost did a whole message on just this nudge, and I decided to wait and do a little more studying on this. But some scholars believe that the first, uh, this entire psalm was written during Babylonian captivity. In other words, and if that's the case, the writer of this is writing as if restoration is a surefire thing, so surefire that it's writing in past tense, even though currently, if this is the case, they were in exile. Okay? I, I, I had a whole message on that nudge, and I decided to wait just in case. I need to do a little more studying one day. Just want to give you good stuff. It, it's, it's, here's what's interesting about this. There is a portion of this psalm that I personally have not spent a lot of time on that when I begin to come back to this this week, the Lord made me sit in and I saw something in this I want to share for you that makes the entire psalm not only make sense, it makes what many of us and definitely us as a body, as a church body, what we're walking through, it gives so much context to where we are. Now, Psalm 126 is not where we got the name dream from. Uh, however, it is. it has kind of become where we get the name dream from. So originally we got it from Acts 2, you know, your young, old men will, uh, young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Uh, my spiritual father, Lee McDermott, uh, years ago said, I think you need to look at Psalm 126 as y'all's chapter. So I took a look at it and read it. And as the months went on and the Lord dove us deeper into some of the stuff that we were in back then, it began to make sense that this, this is really who we are. Uh, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Zion is not only a literal place, it's, it's, it's a way of speaking to the place where God is enthroned. The, the presence of God is Zion. So when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Now remember that. But look at the back half of this. I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about water courses in the Negev. Okay? Water courses in the Negev. Because this is what the next part starts. It goes through this whole entire three verses of this is what the Lord has done. We were laughing. We were full of joy, blah, 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 blah. And then it says this, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses in the Negev. What? You know, what is he talking about? The Negev lies between Israel to the north and the desert, which is to the south. Desert to the south. Israel was a very fertile land. It's one of the reasons why it was called the land flowing with milk and honey. It, because of its location, specifically near a water source, it was a, an extremely fertile land. Okay, Israel, it, was, it was almost effortless to make crops grow in Israel because of where it was located. Okay, But the majority of the year... This place in between Israel and the desert, the Negev, 
is completely dry. There are some patches for shepherds and their flocks to find vegetation, but outside of those patches, it's totally dry. Okay, so think of Psalm, this is, uh, if I was going to preach on Psalm 23, I would probably use this too, but think, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my It's because these shepherds have scouted out places in what looks like a barren land where there are these splotches of um, vegetation that the flock could feed off of. And the shepherds knew where they were. So as long as the flock was following the shepherd, the shepherd would lead them to these places that look like in the middle of a complete desert, right? But the Negev was like that. There was patches of vegetation, but outside of that, it was totally dry. However, in short durations of, in short duration seasons, every year, there is so much rain in Israel to the north that it floods down into the Negev which are the water courses in the Negev that this is talking about, okay? This only happens once, maybe twice a year. Usually once, possibly twice a year. And the rest of the year, the Negev is dry and barren. Now, let me ask you this for those of you that aren't farmers like me, but think about this. If you have a yard in South Carolina, you know what this is. What happens to land... If there is no rain or water for eight or more months straight, Brandon, you know, you do, you do lawns. What happens if there's no rain, no sprinkler system, no hose watering for let's say 10 months? It's dead and the ground is what? It's hard as a rock, right? Okay. So it's dead, it's hard. The land becomes essentially completely barren. I saw an interview that somebody did with a farmer in that region as I was doing some studying on this. And that farmer said this about the land. He said that when that rain comes that one or two times a year, and it comes so heavy in the north that it begins to flood down the Negev, when that rain comes, because the ground is so hard, the rain floods over it almost like concrete. So when those rains come, if the ground isn't prepared before, it ends up being either a complete waste of water or devastating for, depending on how they've set up their land around the Negev. Because the water comes in and it's not being soaked into the earth because the earth is too dry. The water comes in and begins to flood everything until eventually it finds its way out. Okay? Now now I want you to hear this. If you're going to see a harvest in a land like the Negev, you have to work the land and sow the seeds before the rain comes. If you wait for the rain, you're too late. Let me say it like this. If you wait for proof that rain is actually coming, you've waited too long and it's too late. Look at what verse 5 says. It says that those who reap, or excuse me, those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Now, what does this mean? What are they sowing and why are they sowing in tears? It's because the proverbial land, the Negev, has become dry 
and barren. It's become so hard that it stopped producing anything. Now, I want to try to explain this as, as best as I can. Seeds come from harvest. Like, back in the day, there wasn't a Lowe's that you go to to buy all the seeds for you to plant in your backyard. You know what I mean? Like, nobody's got a big pile of seeds for you to go. Seeds come from harvest. So, for example, and I, now I'm not a farmer, so if what I'm about to say is slightly off or whatever, somebody correct me, okay? But to my knowledge, if you want to, let's just say, grow an apple tree, the seeds of an apple are found within what? An apple. So, the harvest from an apple tree is both to consume and it's the seed needed to plant so that you can consume in the next season. Okay? Now, I want you to remember this. Seed come from harvest. Harvest is a twofold blessing. You eat from it, and it provides the source of planting and growing and eating for the next season. If you are sowing in tears, it is because the last bit of hope for harvest that you have is being sown. I want to show you this. Sowing in tears. You are sacrificing what you have in belief and hope that God will send the rain to make it grow. So let me say it like this. You got 10 apples. You've eaten nine of them. You got one apple left. Okay? You could either eat that apple because you're hungry, or you could sacrifice the last apple and plant it in the ground, praying that God brings the rain so that that one apple you've sacrificed becomes a hundred apples on a tree. And if that one is the only one that you have left and you live in a land that doesn't have a Kroger, right? If your livelihood is dependent on what you get from harvest, you die without harvest. So what happens if you take the last of what you have and you plant it in the ground and no longer have anything left? I would assume as a parent, you're going out and you're sowing this in tears. Because you know, if God doesn't come through, we starve. And not just we, kids. In fact, this is what uh, Brian Simmons, he puts this in one of his notes down here. He says this. A sower weeps when he sows his precious seed while his children are hungry. This is a picture of sacrificing what little we have for the harvest to come. The psalmist here declares to us, however, that those who do this will reap shouts of joy carrying sheaves of blessing. So think about how this psalm starts out. Starts out in the beginning with, remember what the Lord did for us. When we were in Babylon and we had nothing left, we began to sow our prayers and sow our worship and sow our belief and sow our faith in tears, believing there will come a day when the Lord leads us back to Zion. 
And when he did, they say, it was we were like those who dream. We laughed. We shouted with joy. It was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. But then in verse 4, it says this, restore our fortunes. Now, didn't verse 1 just say, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion? Something's happened between when the Lord restored Zion and where the writer of this psalm is at the point of writing this. Somewhere in between, whether it's all written at the same time or whether he's looking back at Babylonian captivity and looking ahead to maybe the age when the Messiah comes, somewhere in that time frame, the fortunes have been lost again. And how do they respond in that? They respond by doing what he says they did at one point in Babylonian exile, which is we're going to take the last of what we have and we're going to sow it, believing the word of the Lord that he will restore us once again. And just like our mouth was full of laughter and our tongue had shouts of joy, if we go sowing in tears, we'll once again reap with what? Shouts of joy. We will see the glory of the Lord come through for us again, but it is dependent on whether or not we trust the rain is going to come. And if we trust the rain is going to come like he said it was going to come, we're going to take what we have and rather than try to preserve what we have and ration what we have just in case God doesn't come through, Instead, we're going to take it and we're going to sow it in the ground and then we're going to believe the rain is coming. This is, this is what the prophet uh, Joel says. And Matt read this earlier, but I'm actually going to read it one more time. And I told him to read it on purpose so that we could have it in mind. But this is what the prophet Joel says about this. It says this. <clears throat> I'm going to start at verse 18. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. In response to his people, the Lord said, I am sending you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. I will no longer make you a mockery among the nations. I will remove the northern army far from you and drive it into parched and desolate land in front of the eastern sea. And in its rear into the western sea, its stench and foul smell will rise up. Surely he has done great things. But listen to this. Listen, listen to what uh, the prophet Joel is speaking to. He says, do not fear, O soil. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. There's a prophetic word to the ground. Do not fear, you wild animals of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and vine give their full yield. Wild animals. 23. O children of Zion. Listen to this. Maybe we could say children of presence. Be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. I want you to hear this. He has poured down for your abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. Do you hear that? He has given the early rain for what? Your vindication. 
He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floor shall be full of grain. The vat shall overflow with wine and oil. I will repay you. For the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, my great army which I sent against you, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I the Lord am your God, and there is no other, and my people shall never again be put to shame. Now listen to what happens. Then, then, afterward, see if it sounds familiar. After this, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. I will show portents in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. So there's a pattern here. The pattern is crying out. We would maybe say repentance, changing how you think. Okay. And then the Lord begins to answer the harvest, the soil, the wild animals. We get grain, the uh, early and latter rains, etc. And then once the Lord brings harvest, the next stage, the prophet Joel says, is his own spirit being poured out on all flesh. Now, we've jumped uh, in a lot of ways to Acts 2, which is Pentecost, the spirit being poured out, all this other stuff. And what we miss is what the prophet Joel said would happen before Acts 2 happens. And it did happen for the early church. We just skip over most of it. Okay? Before the Spirit is poured out in Acts 2, Jesus becomes flesh and for three, specifically three years, begins to uproot, begins to till the soil begins to cast seed. In fact, he even tells a parable about a farmer who goes out and scatters what? Seed on good soil. You remember this? That brings not just his crop, it brings a hundredfold what was sown. So he comes in, he tills the ground, he plants the seed, the harvest begins to come, right? Because of the disciples, because of the 120 that are in the upper room, the harvest begins to come. And then once the harvest begins to come, the Spirit is poured out on all flesh. So Joel gives us a pattern. The New Testament follows this pattern. It's just a pattern that I don't know if we've ever seen. 
We wanted to jump to spirit be poured out. And Yahweh, I believe for a long time, has waited for a group of people willing to go out into the dry and hard and barren land and look at the land and believe in the nature of God as good so much that we begin to till up the land and sow the seed that we have, believing that the rain will come. And when the rain comes, the harvest comes. And when the harvest comes, the spirit is poured out on all flesh. Why? Because one who has sown their seed in tears is one that is so full of trust they can contain the measure of the spirit of God that God wants to pour out on us. James says like this, I'd say it every week just about, that the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance, so that you're mature and complete, lacking nothing. If you're going to carry the Spirit of God, there's a good chance you need to be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Because, James goes on to say, a double-minded man is unstable in all their ways. So it makes sense that the Lord's going to fix our double-mindedness before he pours out his Spirit on something. And the way that you fix double-mindedness is to see if you're willing to believe that God is good even when the land is dry. The Lord, listen, the Lord does not bring harvest by himself. Josh, he's the Lord of the harvest. Absolutely. But the Lord does not bring harvest by himself. The Lord brings the thing required for harvest, which is rain. But rain is only going to bring harvest if we've been sowing seed. The Lord restoring the rains, as the prophet Joel says, was only good news because, in context, of Israel's repentance. Their seeds of repentance grew a harvest by way of God's rain. But just having rain is not that great of a news if you haven't sown anything. In fact, like I said earlier, if you haven't touched the ground, the rain will come in and possibly flood what you do have. So the thing that would bring harvest if you've sown seeds will begin to destroy the things that you found comfort and safety in because you had control over it. Think of it like this. God nurtures and grows what we sow. If that wasn't the the most preacher thing I've said in a long time. But it's true. You can tweet it. If y'all still do that. Do people still tweet? Still a thing, right? You have to buy the blue check mark now. The God nurtures and grows what we sow. And we are called to sow what? We're called to sow when things are dry and hard and difficult and the things that we're called to sow are, for a lot of us, the things that we are unwilling to let go of. So I saw, I saw a, a friend of mine the other day um, did a, wrote an article, and in this article he said this. He said, um, a lot of my dreams have not come to pass, and yet... I am completely fulfilled. And he went on to talk about how the Lord has done so much in his life. He's grown in presence. 
He's grown closer to the Lord. And when you grow closer to who the Lord is and who you really are, suddenly the things that you used to thought would bring you happiness don't bring you that much happiness anymore. So all of your dreams become things that you can overflow into, but they don't become things that you are absolutely dependent on to be happy. Okay? So in the dry seasons... We're called to take whatever the Lord is calling us to sow and in trust and belief that the Lord will do what he said, we're called to till up the hard ground and plant it and then wait. The dry seasons of our lives are not the devil or something we are doing wrong. They are purposed by God as seasons of sowing. Then when God sends the rain and ends the barrenness of the land, what you sowed will become what you eat of. Here we go. Here's another. You ready for this? You might want to write this down. What you eat tomorrow is determined by what you sow today. What you eat tomorrow is determined by what you sow today. And the question that I want to ask you today is, what have you or what are you sowing into the ground in this season right now? Doubt will cause you to withhold the last of last year's harvest, maybe the last blessing that God gave you, maybe the last thing that God did for you, maybe the last thing that you thought, man, if I could just live in this the rest of my life, I'll be happy. What If we doubt the goodness of God, it'll cause us to try to take what the Lord has done for us in the past and live in a past season, in a past breakthrough, in a past blessing, when maybe the Lord called us to take that, sow it into the ground so that he could bring about something even greater. But doubt will cause us to withhold last year's blessing, thinking that if we sow it in the ground rather than ration it, we'll lose everything. Don't ration God's last blessings. You, we're called to, in faith, till up dry ground and plant seeds, believing that the rain is absolutely coming. I, hear, I can hear Elijah in this, where I taught on a couple weeks ago. I can hear Elijah as I was studying this. Say, I hear the sound of a heavy rain. It hasn't rained in years. At the word of Elijah. And before he sees the cloud, before the whole thing that takes place that I preached on a couple weeks ago, he makes the declaration, I hear the sound of rain. Can you hear the sound of rain when it is dry and sunny and not a cloud in the sky? What, what happens if you live in that place? Well, Josh, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if... if Man, y'all got some big dreams there at church, you know. I don't, I don't know about all that. Well, Josh, I mean, you, I mean, look at your career. Look at what you had. The stuff I hear, you know what? But you know what I mean? But, I mean, think of this. What about you? 
How many times have you had a dream to start a business or to go out on your own or to invest or to step into a relationship that you've been kind of scared to step into, maybe because of some insecurities, maybe because of something that happened in the past? I mean, whatever the case may be, maybe it's a degree. Maybe you've been like, I don't know if I should go back and get my master's degree. I just don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I'm smart enough for that. I don't know if I have time for that. Whatever it is, what if instead of being those who are looking for safety, we became those who could hear the rain coming before we ever saw it and not just hear the rain coming, but begin, begin to order our lives around the truth that it is coming. What, what happens if you do that? We're called to, in faith, throw out the seeds that we've been given. On what grounds do you believe that the rains are coming? Because they came last time. On what grounds do you believe the Lord will come through for us? This is the grounds that we, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouth was filled with laughter. Our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoice. Now, restore us again. And Damon Thompson says this all the time. Nothing causes amnesia like storms. When things are not going good in your life, nothing Nothing that you walk through causes you to get amnesia to what the Lord has done for you in the past more than things you're walking through right now that are really tough. But if if you'll see it correctly, those are the seasons prepared by God to allow us to, in faith, begin to throw out seeds. And in those people around you will begin to say, you're wasting the, the little bit that you've got left. Why are you throwing seeds on dry ground? Why are you stepping out and doing, why are you giving like you are? That doesn't make any sense. Why, why are you stepping into this job rather than this job? That doesn't make any sense. And when you begin to start throwing these seeds on dry ground, it'll cause those around you who aren't doing that to begin to say, something's not right about that. But if you live in a place where you know and trust in the goodness of a father who will not and cannot let you down, you'll begin to do things out of a belief that he's good that you would never do out of proof in a theological fact that God might be good. You know, you can know all the theology that you want to know. Trust me, you can know it all. But if you don't simply trust in the goodness of Abba, doesn't matter how much you know, you'll never live in faith. And living in faith is not living blind. It's not living like this where you're just like, oh God, you know, come through, come through, come through, come through, come through, come through. That's not living in faith. Living in faith is, I know exactly how this plays out. Therefore, I'm going to live my life knowing the end of the story. That's faith. Faith is not something that comes from you. Faith comes from God. So when you grow in faith, it's not you growing in your belief. It's you being matured in the belief that is already within you. Right? So, well, you don't have to say right because now y'all probably believe that. But that's just true, okay? That's what Greek is. That's what, you know, pistis. That's what in the Greek, faith, that's what it is. It is a God-given guarantee that what he spoke will come to pass, which is why all you have to have is faith the size of a mustard seed to speak to a mountain and tell it jump into the sea, and it will. Not because you believe, because all of us believe. 
this bit, you know, we have this much belief, right? All of us do. Even those who are atheists have about this much belief that, well, there might be, right? That's not what he's talking about. Because if you remember the context of the story, he comes off the mountain of transfiguration where he has this insane, he's glowing, you know, he's, it's, like, it's like Christmas. It's like a Christmas tree glow, glowing. And he comes down and the disciples have spent all this time trying to cast a demon out and they're unable, right? And Jesus comes to them and says, you have little faith. But then he says, if you'll have little faith, you can speak to a mountain tell it jump to the sea and it will. Huh? You just said they have little faith, so why couldn't they do it? That he's not talking about belief. He's saying if all you have is that much of a God-given guarantee, it's enough to speak to a mountain and tell it to jump into the sea and it respond. Why? Because it's not from you. It's from him. And when the Lord tests or proves our faith, he's maturing us, lacking nothing, persevering us in the faith that we have been given by Christ. In, in most of the New Testament, when you see um, the, the phrase um, having faith, almost every single time the alternate translation, which is actually, in my opinion, a little more accurate, is having the faith of Christ. It's not faith in Christ. The actual translation is faith of Christ. It's not you believe this and his faith is here and you're trying to cross this chasm. It's he's put something on the inside of you that you have to trust is there. Okay? And so when when we sow our seed in tears, what's happening on the inside of us is the faith that has been placed within is beginning to mature into a lifestyle where you begin to live prophetically rather than reactionally, where you're living in offense rather than defense, where you're living because you know what will happen rather than living whenever something does happen. Do you see this? So the Lord... Let me, let, me, let me just ask this before I wrap it up. Matt, you can actually hop up here. Let me ask this. What have we or are we sowing as a church? Like what, we, what, have, what seeds have we been sowing as a church and, and what are we currently sowing as a church? Let me, let me just tell you this. The Lord is about to move us into the most fruitful season that we've had as a church. And I we are preparing for it right now before it ever happens. Rain is coming. And either we'll be ready or we'll get flooded by the dry ground's inability to receive blessing when it rains down. Rain is coming. Let me tell you this. I hear, as a pastor of this house, I hear the sound of a heavy rain. I don't see it yet. But I hear it. And if you will dare to hear it too, we're going to start to see some things that can only come by way of faith. They can only come by way of trust. The Lord's about to move us into the most fruitful season we've ever had. I, um, I want to ask you this, and then I'm going to wrap it up. We've talked a lot about rain. We've talked a lot about seed. The question is, though, 
and I just want to answer this for you. Where does the water flow from? Where does the rain come from? It comes from God, but specifically where? This is what Revelation 22 says. The end, this is the end of the story. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, flowing with water clear as crystal, continuously pouring out from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The river was flowing in the middle of the street of the city, and on either side of the river was the tree of life with its 12 kinds of ripe fruit according to each month of the year. It bears fruit in every season. The leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. And every curse will be broken and no longer exist. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there in the city. His loving servants will serve Him and they will constantly see His face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. There will never need to be the light of the sun or a lamp because the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign as kings forever and ever. Rain is coming and it's coming from the river that flows from the throne of God. John, in the book of Revelation, calls this living water. Living water. I, I want to encourage you today and this week, as you are thinking about what the Lord is doing in your life, what seeds are you sowing right now? Maybe you're sowing seeds that you didn't even know you were sowing. Okay. I... I have um, gone through seasons of extreme negativity. Okay, and it and it seems Jordan Jordan, like, Amen, Amen. That it seems like nothing, right? Seems like nothing. And what I've started to realize is is, and I'm you know negative just just towards you know the news, or or but just just seasons of being just kind of negative. Right? And what I've noticed is when that happens, I'm more angry more often. Right? I am more down on myself. I'm more down on other people. And some seasons, I have an inability to love like I'm designed to love. And all of it comes from seeds that have been watered and have started to grow. I mean, so, like, what, what seeds are we sowing? Or, let me ask you this. What ground have you not tilled up because it's too hard? Is there parts of your life that have become dry and barren and hard, crusty, rocky ground that you haven't done the work to till up because, A, it might be a little bit too much work, or B, because you don't want to face the things that made it hard in the first place, or C, maybe you don't care enough to go out there and till it up. Maybe you've become apathetic to it. But like, what, what are you sowing? As a, as a church, what are we sowing? I talked this last week about loving each other. But like, what are we sowing? Now, I think we do a great job of this. So, I mean, this is all good stuff. But like, like 
I've been in places that are just full of gossip. Full of it. Y'all have too, right? I mean, okay, we're all human. I've been in places, and thank God this isn't one of them, but I've been in, and if it was, you better believe I'd be cutting it quick. Okay, so if that, just so y'all know, if I ever get wind, well, y'all been here on Tuesday nights where I've had to call a meeting and, and, you know, come to Jesus. But anyway, but I've been in places that are just, just rampant with God. Did you, did you see how somebody looked at me? My Lord. Or, 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 I'm only telling you this because we need to pray over this person, but did you know so Susie's son is, is doing drugs? He's smoking cigarettes. I, was, I said all that on purpose. I know cigarettes aren't drugs, okay? Um, but, okay, yeah, right? That's just churches I grew up in, you know. Wait. Um, and then all the deacons be smoking out back. But we, but this is, you know, what are we sowing as a church? So let me, more practically, um, what are we believing for in the future? Let me, let me, just, let me just fill you in on some stuff. Uh, we're, we won't be here much longer. We just won't, Okay. And there's some situations that have like swirled around this and we'll explain more as things get a little more clear. But at the end of the day, we're not, we're not going to be here much longer. Okay. And here's why I'm saying this. The Lord is, he has, and I've been so giddy over this, but he's had us in a season where he's literally saying it's time to leave Egypt. And if you will not leave on your own, I'm just going to put my foot right here and I'm going to kick you out. And when you get in the wilderness, you're going to see this is why you had to come here. Because rain is being poured out in a place that in one season looks dry. But when you come out and start to believe that the former rains are coming and the latter rains are coming, and I believe they're coming in the same season, when that happens and the rain begins to flow down into the dry and barren place, suddenly that wilderness becomes an oasis of new springs that spring up if we'll perceive it. Let me, let me just read this. Man, I feel, I feel this. Here we go. Let me just read this over you real quick. Y'all thought I was done early. I, l- listen to what this says. I read this a couple weeks ago, but just to give you a little reminder. Listen to this. Isaiah 35, the wilderness and dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. So strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, say to those who are fearful, be strong and don't fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer. The tongue of the speechless sing for joy. Listen to this. For water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool. The thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway will be there. And it will be called the holy way. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy 
and gladness, listen, and sorrow and sighing shall flee from them. The ransomed of the Lord shall return. All of that happens in the wilderness. And if, if, if we will begin to treat the wilderness like the place that we're actually supposed to be, not the place that we're supposed to escape, we'll begin to see a highway there. And that highway is the place that not even, and thank God, fools will lose their way. Not even fools will lose their way. Which is an amazing thing. Because sometimes I want, no, I'm just kidding. See, that's my negativity, all right? But this, but this, is, this is just lighting the inside of me with a fire that I, I've been burning for for six years and burning with for six years that is just now I'm starting to see some things that we prayed for six years ago. And I'm seeing it in a season that seems like dry. And it's because I hear the sound of a heavy rain. And I want you to hear it too. I'm gonna pray over you and then we'll be done. Lord, I, I thank you that, that you, are, you are a God who is so meticulous with everything that happens in our lives, with everything that we walk through, with everything that we become, that, that you will give us the blessing of seasons where we can take ground that we have never thought to take ground. Who would have thought that the Negev could become an oasis? Who would have thought that Columbia could become the place where God is enthroned? So Lord, I say today that we will be those who become good soil, that we will be those who throw out seed in belief and trust that when the rain comes, you will not only restore what was lost and sown, you will return a harvest to us that is so over and abundant that we will be overflowing with blessing coming out of it. It's exactly what the promise says here. God, I pray over those who have been struggling to let go of what you need them to let go of. And I pray that you would allow them to see that whatever you ask us to give you is only for the purpose of returning to us what we could not hold while we were holding that in our hands. If the Lord asks something of you, it's so that he can give you something that you couldn't hold while you were holding the thing he asked for. So, Lord, we trust you today. This cannot become a normal thing. And not just dream church. I'm talking about church. I'm talking about the family. I'm talking about the, the scriptures. This cannot become a normal thing. This needs to be oxygen for us. This needs to be the thing that I cannot live without. 
This needs to be the thing that when we're laying in bed at night, we begin to dream dreams of our great grandkids in a measure of significant presence that we have not even dreamed of being because of what we are laying down in our lives in this season before they are even in the picture yet. That's what it says about the tithe in Abraham. It says when Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, it wasn't just him. It was his seed present in the obedience of Abraham. So before his kids were even in the picture, before his great, great, great grandkids were even in the picture, they were present in an act of obedience of sowing. Christ likewise sowed his body into the ground so that when it produced a harvest, it resulted in every nation, tribe, and tongue proclaiming he is Lord. One man, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. So God, we say yes. Whatever you want of us, you can have it. Take my life as a sacrifice. I just want to burn for you. Is it a fragrance? Then I'll pour my oil out. Is it a life laid down? Then right here I take my vow. Is it a song I sing? Here's every single melody. I just want to move you. God, I pray over those right now that have dreams on the inside of them that seem absolutely impossible. I pray that you would begin to bring such a rain, such a, a measure of blessing on those dreams that they begin to grow whether or not we even believe they're growing. I pray that there will be such clarity and such proving in the things that you have placed inside of us that we will not be able to ignore that you're bringing us into the season that we've been dreaming of for years. So Lord, we honor you in this place. This is your house and we are your people. We move when you move and we stop when you stop. In your name, amen.